I graduated in 1976, so this car was 15 years old then. So it was a classic even to the people who were graduating then. The thing that was cool about this car is there was another chick in the school who uh, drove a Rambler Classic, and hers was hot pink, about the color of this t-shirt right here. <laughs> Both of our cars were plastered with bumper stickers talking about Jesus. I didn't know her, and she didn't know me. But every time we saw the other car, we would honk and wave at each other. Just because our cars had Jesus bumper stickers, and they were Rambler Classics. I finally met her, her name was Deanne Joseph, and we ended up being great friends and ended up rooming together in college. One year, uh, for summer, for a vacation, we took uh, her Rambler Classic and a bunch of kids and we went on a canoe trip down to Arkansas. We loaded up a bunch of kids in her car and we were traveling down to Arkansas and I don't know if y'all remember this, but back in the day when you stopped to get fuel, a guy would come out and actually put yeah, the gas into the car for you, right? And so we were getting gas in our car, and we all getting out of the car and going to the bathroom, getting stuff to eat, and making a lot of noise like college students do on a road trip, right? And uh, this slow-moving, quiet Arkansas boy came walking out to the car, and he looked at those bumper stickers, and he looked at us, and he said, that's a mighty precious person you're advertising. <laughs> That's a mighty precious person you're advertising. And I've never forgotten that. Because he's a mighty precious person we're going to be talking about this week, y'all. And what we're going to be talking about is the fact that all of the stories that we learned about in Sunday school, and all of those flannel graphs point to Jesus. <clears throat> the stories in the Old Testament that maybe we didn't understand at first, the things like Passover, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When, when Joshua was on his way to Jericho and he saw that guy, Jesus. We can find Jesus on so many of the pages in the Bible. Let's don't miss him. Amen? So, I want to start out. I know that, I know that Kevin has already prayed, but let's pray again because you can't pray too many times, especially when you're the speaker. <laughs> and you need the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and anoint every word. Help me remember what you want me to remember and help me to forget what doesn't matter. Flow through me. Anoint our ears and our hearts to receive from you. And let all glory go to you alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the beginning... God created everything, and it was good, and there was a friendship between God and man. And uh, then along came the serpent, and he lied. And we know this story. Um, 
the people believed his lies, they rebelled against the only boundary that God had given them. This Bible, this book is a story. I said this last night, but I'm going to say it again. This book is a story, and inside of it are hundreds of stories with the overarching theme about how God wanted a relationship with man. So the thing that I want us to think about today and this week is not only that God wanted a relationship with man, but that God wants a relationship with you. He wants a friendship with you. So Jesus, God wants a relationship with me today. And that's why Jesus came. That's what we're talking about, okay? And so then, stories like Noah, and that fits inside the stories of the nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, God was revealing himself to the world through a nation, the nation of Israel. And you've got stories about Abraham and God's promise to him. We sang about Father Abraham had many sons, and then the prophets and things, and redemption, and all the stories culminating in the story of Jesus. These very familiar Bible stories Um, There's a scarlet thread that's woven through the ages of our history, the history of mankind, and every story whispers the name of Jesus. Every Bible story points to the cross. But here's the thing. Because we're trying to cover, like Kevin said, from Genesis to Revelation, we got to go like a rocket. So we can't talk about all of those stories. We don't have time to do that. And not only do I want to cover the history of the book, I'm going to take half of our time every day to talk about something that really applies to our life today. So really, I'm just going to talk part of the time about a timeline of Scripture, and then part of our time each day, uh, I'm going to talk about application for today. Okay? So, it all started in a garden, the Garden of Eden, with these two guys, a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, and they, they... They had a relationship with God because God wanted a relationship with them. He initiated the relationship. He created them. And the only boundary that was given was just enough of a restriction to cause Adam and Eve to push against it. Is there anybody else in here when somebody says, don't do something? (laughs) Like, there used to be this sign on a, a light switch where I used to teach. And it was right here and it said, don't touch this. And every single time I walked past it, I would just go. I didn't have to, I didn't have to flip it. I just touched it. Don't, don't tell me what to do. Just don't be telling me what to do. We have tickets to the dinner theater that, that uh, my parents used to have tickets, and so we inherited them. And, you know, they say, don't take a picture at the dinner theater. I'm like, don't you tell me what to do. Because I wouldn't take a picture unless you told me not to. (laughs) Not only am I going to take it, I'm going to post it on Instagram. So here's the thing. I would have done the same thing Eve did. I would have done it. I probably, I would have taken a bite. I would have listened to the wrong voice. That's what she did. She listened to the wrong voice. They had a good relationship with the Lord. They walked with him. They talked with him. But the lying serpent came in. And they believed his lies instead of the truth. And that's where the trouble began. If you're taking notes, here's a good point for you. 
Angie Smith, if you have, there's a Bible study called Seamless. It's really, really good. I took a lot of my notes from that Bible study for this uh, week's um, curriculum. She wrote, we always have the choice to believe either God or the devil. It can't be both. Learning to recognize when Satan is lying to you is one of the most important skills you'll ever develop in your life. If you can learn to recognize and distinguish a lie from the truth, man, you are winning the battle. I heard somebody say one time, if somebody came walking through the door here, like Austin is, right? And if Austin started speaking to us in Chinese, man, we'd know right away, oh, he is talking in a language I do not understand. You are speaking. What? When Satan lies to us, if we could recognize, that's a language I don't understand. No comprendo. If we could recognize Satan's lies as a language that we do not get, wow! We would be winning right then. Lord, help us recognize when Satan lies to us that it is not a language we speak. Help us only understand truth and believe truth. So Adam and Eve believed the lies of our enemy, and as a consequence, they lost their home in paradise. But before they left, look at this. We're talking about promises today. This is promise number one. Before they left, God promised that the seed of the woman, her offspring would one day crush the serpent's head. I love this. And I will put enmity, that means hostility, between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head. Everybody say, crush your head. And you will strike his heel. That's Genesis 3.15. God promised a snake crusher. And we will see that promise fulfilled as we progress through this week. Next Bible study. I mean, next Bible story. Anybody know what it is in all the Bible story books? Cain kills Abel, right? So Cain murdered Abel. And although it would be the first murder in history, it certainly wasn't the last. And the world became so full of evil and violence that God regretted making it. So he, he decided to destroy everything except for one righteous man and his family and all of the animals. And so Noah obeyed God and he built an ark. He filled it with animals and his family members and the rains came and the floods rose up and God destroyed the earth. And when the rain stopped, God made another promise, right? A promise never to destroy the earth like that again. Because of his love for people and because God wanted a relationship with mankind, he made that promise because his love was so great. But even Noah, if you remember, this obedient and righteous man who was God's friend, he came off the boat and he messed up. It seemed like mankind just couldn't get it right. But God loved him still, and he made another promise. And this time, the promise came to a man named Abraham. God promised Abraham a son, many sons, in fact. So many sons that Abraham wouldn't be able to count them all. They would be like the stars in the sky or the sands on a seashore. 
and all the earth would be blessed through Abraham's children. And although it took a long, long time for this promise to even begin being fulfilled, how many of you like to wait? (laughs) Abraham and Sarah waited and waited and waited. But Abraham and his wife, also they got into some trouble along the way, right? But their boy finally came and eventually grew up, and he had two sons. One of those boys grew up and had 12 sons, and those 12 sons became the leaders of the tribe of, uh, of Israel. Here's what happened. Abraham, oh, look, watch this. Woo. Oh, guess what? It doesn't show up on there, does it? Oh, well. Abraham, we'll do it the old school way. Look at this. Look at this pointer. How's this? Abraham married Sarah. They had Isaac. Isaac and Rebekah had Esau and Jacob. Jacob had the 12 sons who became these good-looking fellas. How about that? Now, one of those sons of Jacob, whose name became Israel, was a kid who had dreams, and he also had a fancy multicolored coat. I could sing some songs about him, but I won't. His name was Joseph. He was the 11th in the line of 12 sons, and his 10 older brothers hated him. We're going to talk about Joseph today because he's one of my favorite Bible characters. So now's the time we're, we're going to kind of switch over from the timeline format of teaching to a different kind of format. But before we do that, um, I'm, going to, I'm going to go over the, the, just the icons that we've, we've covered. Oh, there's a, there's a duplicate. Here we go. Oh, there's your Jacob. Okay, there's your Jacob, I mean your Joseph icon. See the... The bondage, they go down into Egypt, they spend a lot of time there. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. So we talked about Adam and Eve, the nasty snake, Noah, the promise to Abraham, and the 12 tribes that come from him. So what I'd like to do now is uh, we're going to, I'd like for y'all to stand with me, we're going to sing a worship song. We sang it the other day, so I'm I'm pretty sure you guys know it. And then we're going to talk about what we do in times when it's hard to say, blessed be your name. Is the sun always shining on you? Is there always streams of abundance flowing in your life? How many of you would say that it's uh, the sun shining down on you right now? Streams of abundance flow pretty well here at Bayshore, right? Yeah. When you get back home, are you found in a desert place? Are you still, I mean, is it wilderness? Who knows? We don't know. We're not there yet, right? We're going to play this. Here we go. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where the streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll 
Turn back to praise When the darkness closes in, Lord Still I will say Blessed be the name of the Lord Blessed be your name Blessed be the name of the Lord Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me. When the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Desert place. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. The wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing, every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your Good. You got your stretching done. Thank you. That's all right. Okay. <clears throat> okay. We've got some blank slides following this. We learned. There they are. All those words. Okay, so um, I, I don't think I've told y'all yet, but I used to teach uh, elementary school. And so um, one of the things that I like to do when I'm teaching even grown-ups is read storybooks. Uh, I said to my son, you know, my son is uh, 31 years old. How can that be when I'm only like, you know, 35? So I said, Sonny, can I read children's books to grown-ups? He said, Mama... That's your signature move. You have to. And so anyway, I'm going to read Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. How many of you already know this book? Yeah, almost everybody. It's good every time. 
I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on my skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running, and I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box, and Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal box. But in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. <laughs> I think I'll move to Australia. In the carpool, Mrs. Gibson let Becky have a seat by the window. Audrey and Elliot got seats by the window, too. I said I was being scrunched. I said I was being smushed. I said, if I don't get a seat by the window, I'm going to be carsick. No one even answered. I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At school, Mrs. Dickens liked Paul's picture of the sailboat better than my picture of the invisible castle. <laughs> At singing time, she said I sang too loud. At counting time, she said I left out 16. Who needs 16? I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I could tell because Paul said I wasn't his best friend anymore. He said Philip Parker was his best friend and that Albert Moya was his next best friend and that I was only his third best friend. I hope you sit on a tack, I said to Paul. I hope the next time you get a double-decker strawberry ice cream cone, the ice cream part falls off the cone part and lands in Australia. <laughs> there were two cupcakes in Philip Parker's lunch bag, and Albert got a Hershey bar with almonds, and Paul's mother gave him a piece of jelly roll that had little coconut sprinkles on the top. Guess whose mother forgot dessert? It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. That's what it was, because after school, my mom took us all to the dentist, and Dr. Fields found a cavity just in me. Come back next week, and I'll fix it, said Dr. Fields. Next week, I said, I'm going to Australia. <laughs> on the way downstairs, the elevator door closed on my foot. And while we were waiting for my mom to go get the car, Anthony made me fall where it was muddy. And then while I started crying because of the mud, Nick said I was a crybaby. And my mom came back with the car, and, and, and while I was punching Nick for saying crybaby, my mom came back with the car and scolded me for being muddy and fighting. I am having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, I told everybody. No one even answered. So then we went to the shoe store to buy some sneakers. Anthony chose white ones with blue stripes. Nick chose red ones with white stri stripes. I chose blue ones with red stripes. But then the shoe man said, we're all sold out. <coughs> they made me buy plain old white ones. But they can't make me wear them. <laughs> when we picked up my dad at his office, he said I couldn't play with his copying machine, but I forgot. He also said to watch out for the books on his desk, and I was careful as could be, except for my elbow. He also said, don't fool around with this phone, but I think I called Australia. My dad said, please don't pick him up anymore. It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. There were lima beans for dinner, and I hate limas. There was kissing on TV, and I hate kissing. My bath was too hot. 
I got soap in my eyes, my marble went down the drain, and I had to wear my railroad train pajamas. I hate my railroad train pajamas. When I went to bed, Nick took back the pillow. He said I could keep, and the Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out, and I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony, not me. It has been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. My mom says some days are like that, even in Australia. <laughs> so poor little Alexander had himself a horrible time, and we all know what that's like when things happen, and you just can't get the victory, right? Has anybody ever seen this book? This is called Aunt Nancy and Old Man Trouble. Aunt Nancy has a little bit of a different attitude than Alexander, and I love this book because she's kind of got it figured out. So when Old Man Trouble shows up at her door, She uh, pretty much tells him which way to go. Aunt Nancy should have known old man trouble was in the neighborhood. Hadn't the spring out back gone and dried up this morning when she went to fill her water bucket? And when she bent over the spring hole to see what had happened to the water, didn't her good luck three-legged wooden buffalo nickel fall right out of her pocket, bloop, into the hole and no way to fetch it up again? Here was the sun barely poking up in the sky and already bad luck was hopping around like rabbits at a family reunion. Aunt Nancy should have known old man trouble was around all right, but she didn't. When there came a knocking and a thumping on her door, what did she do but open it? And there stood old man trouble. He was dressed in a long black coat, tall black hat and shiny black shoes. He was swinging a silver-headed walking stick and his pointy white teeth gleamed in his pointy black beard. Good day to you, ma'am, says old man Trouble, sliding one of those shiny black shoes into the doorway. Quick as a whisker, Aunt Nancy slams the door and bolts it shut. She knows who old man Trouble is, all right, and no way is she going to let him in. Now, ma'am says old man trouble from the other side of the door. You know it ain't no use to try and keep me out. Bolt your doors and windows shut, I'll just drift down your chimney. Plug your chimney flue, I'll blow in through the cracks in the wall. Might as well open that door and let me in. Old man, old man trouble keeps knocking on the door. Sooner or late, he knows Aunt Nancy's going to have to let him in. Aunt Nancy, she knows the truth of that but she knows a thing or two herself. So when old man trouble knocks again, Aunt Nancy winks at her cat Ezekiel, opens the door wide and says, might as well come on in. Old man trouble steps in through the door as big as you please. Ezekiel takes one look and he hisses and howls and shoots out the door faster than a firecracker on the 4th of July. Fast as he is, Ezekiel isn't fast enough. The door nips shut on his tail, and he lights off for the nearest tree, yowling and howling. That's the kind of thing happens when old man trouble comes around. Aunt Nancy shuts the door and says all polite, seat yourself and stay a spell. Don't mind if I do, says old man trouble. I wouldn't say no to a cup of tea, neither. So Aunt Nancy puts the kettle on the fire, and the next thing you know, the fire's gone out. And when she blows on the coals to start it up again, all she gets is a face full of ashes. Out of the corner of her eye, she spies old man trouble grinning. But Aunt Nancy, she pretends not to notice. 
Well, now, here's a blessing, says Aunt Nancy. The fire's gone out, and a good thing on a hot day like this. I'll just get you a nice, cool glass of water. There's a drop or two left in the bucket. Aunt Nancy reaches for a glass of water, and don't that glass just kind of jump sideways out of her fingers, splash water down her front, and crash in a million pieces on the floor. Old man Trouble's still grinning through his beard, but Aunt Nancy, she makes like she don't see him. Hooey, don't that feel good, she says. Cools me right off. Old man Trouble, he's not grinning quite so big as Aunt Nancy sweeps up the pieces. And there's another blessing, she says. Didn't that glass have a crack in it and me too cheap to throw it out? Now nobody will get themselves cut trying to drink out of it. Old man Trouble, he's not grinning very much at all. And I'd get you another glass, says Aunt Nancy, but the spring's gone dry this morning. Well, sit yourself down and rest then, says Old Man Trouble. Aunt Nancy starts to sit in a chair when creak, crack, the chair's lying on its side with one leg broken and kathunk Aunt Nancy's sitting on the floor. <laughs> now ain't that a mercy, Aunt Nancy says, picking herself up, just when I was wondering where I was going to get me some kindling wood. Old man trouble stomps his silver-headed walking stick on the floor. Aunt Nancy can see he's mighty upset. <coughs> Don't nothing bother you, ma'am, says old man trouble through his teeth. Not today it don't, says Aunt Nancy, fetching her rocking chair. I just knowed it was my lucky day when I saw that spring dried up this morning. No more mud tracking up my floor. No more dampness aching in my bones. Old Man Trouble starts to grin again. I reckon that'd be real trouble to you, ma'am, if that spring come back again, he says. That it would, Aunt Nancy says. But being as this is my lucky day, I'm not worried. You brought me nothing but good luck, and I thank you kindly. <laughs> I better be getting along then, says Old Man Trouble. Aunt Nancy sees him to the door. Come again, she says all polite. Oh, I will, says old man Trouble, stepping outside. Say, ma'am, he asks, do you hear water running somewhere? Aunt Nancy shakes her head. Don't hear a thing, she says. Old man Trouble grins so hard his face is about to split. You will, ma'am, he says. He tips his hat and sets off down the road, swinging his walking stick and humming to himself. Aunt Nancy watches the back of old man Trouble away down the road. All the while, she's listening to the sweet sound of water gurgling, and she's grinning pretty big herself. Come on down, cat, she says to Ezekiel up in his tree. You and me can sit and rock and rest a spell. Aunt Nancy, she figures she's earned it. Aunt Nancy's pretty smart chick, isn't she? She's figured out how to say, what a blessing. What a blessing. How do you know when something happens to you, whether it's what a bummer or what a blessing? There's a Chinese parable about a Chinaman who had one horse and one son. One day the horse, out of control, wandered away with the boy on its back and they were both lost. The man's neighbors came to console him the next day, and they said, we're so sorry you lost your horse and your son. It is so bad. But the man said, how do you know that it's bad? The next day, the horse and the boy wandered back home. Trailing behind the horse were 13 wild horses that came right into the corral. 
The neighbors came to congratulate the man for having his horse and boy back and 13 new wild horses. They said, that's so good. The man replied, how do you know that it's good? The next day when the boy was trying to break one of the wild horses, he was bucked off and broke his leg. His neighbors came and said, we are so sorry, it is so bad. The man said, how do you know it's bad? The next day a warlord came to confiscate all the able-bodied young men for his war, but the man's son could not go because of his leg, and it was good. Aunt Nancy knew a thing or two when these bad things came, and she knew how to turn it around and say, what a blessing, what a blessing. I want us to realize today that we have the choice as to how we are going to respond to situations in our life, and we can have control over our attitudes and how we are going to see things when they come to us. Our attitude is what makes the biggest difference. And the Bible tells us how to do this. Scripture says in Ecclesiastes 9.10, let's see if I have this. That's still a song. I wonder if I'm going backwards. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do... Oh, oh, I'm holding it upside down. How about that? <laughs> what a blessing! <laughs> oh, there it is. Let me go back. Okay. Whatever... Okay, there it is. Okay. <laughs> what a blessing. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. I love this scripture because it doesn't say what your whatever is. It just says, do it with all of your might. It might be singing worship songs in the tabernacle, and it might be digging ditches. It might be washing dishes. It might be changing diapers. But whatever it is, do it with all your might. The next one is in the New Testament. Whatever work you do, do it with all your heart. Do it for the Lord and not for men. Um, when I was in college, I had a job at a, at a restaurant, and I waited tables. And um, I had a boss that I didn't feel like she liked me very much. I mean, what's not to like about me? I, I know you can't imagine that, but... <laughs> She just, I, I felt like she kind of picked on me and she was all the time telling me to bust tables instead of waiting on people and I'd have to clean up the dirty dishes, you know, instead of being a waitress. And really my job was to be a waitress. And uh, I knew this scripture, whatever, your, whatever work you do, do it with all your heart, do it for the Lord and not for men. And I decided I was going to take this verse with me to work. And um, so whenever this boss would tell me to clean up a table of dirty dishes, I would say to her, you want me to go bust that table? Okay. And I would go over there and I would clean those dirty dishes up with all of my heart, with a smile on my face and a song in my heart. I got it. I got it. Okay, I'm on it. I'm on it. And I would go clean that thing. And whatever she asked me to do, I did with great joy and enthusiasm. And I want you to know that I turned that relationship around and we ended up liking it. I was like Aunt Nancy, what a blessing. I mean, I didn't make her walk away like Old Man Trouble did, 
But because I chose to, whatever my hand found to do, do it with all my heart, I ended up liking the lady. I can't remember what her name is now. That was a long time ago. But I think this is a great scripture because we get to make the choice. The way that you choose to live is up to you. Nobody can make you sad or mad or glad. You get to decide that. You get to make the choice. The news can't decide your attitude for you. They can get on the news and tell you that everything is horrible. But guess what? We win, we win, hallelujah, we win. I read the back of the book and we win. <laughs> so they can say whatever they want to on the news channels. We win. Don't let old man trouble get you down. Do crummy things happen? Absolutely. Is life hard sometimes? No question about it. Life can be really, really hard, but you get to decide how you're going to respond to it. Um, here is a, a quote. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past, the education, the money, more important than circumstances, than failure, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It's more important than appearance, giftedness or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. I know this is nothing new to y'all. You've lived a long time, and you already know that you're in, you're in charge of your attitude. I just want to remind you, we get to choose every minute of every day, how we're going to respond. So we're going to talk about that guy that I, already, that, that I already referred to, Joseph. He had some really, really hard things happen to him, but because of his attitude, he turned out literally on top of the world at, at his time. He was literally the second guy um, in, uh, in command of the world at that time. Uh, you, we know that when Joseph was uh, a young man, his father loved him best. What a blessing, right? Except for that it made his brothers hate his guts. What a bummer. His father gave him an anointed dream. What a blessing. God has given me dreams. That's awesome. That it made his brothers hate him even more. What a bummer. His daddy gave him a beautiful coat of many colors. What a blessing, right? He made his brothers threaten to kill him. What a bummer. They threw him into a pit. What a bummer. They pulled him back out again. What a blessing. Joseph's life is going like this, y'all. You talk about a roller coaster. Then they sold him into slavery. What a bummer. But as a slave, because of his attitude, he was given great responsibility. And then... He gets falsely accused and thrown into prison over and over and over again, up and down, uh, roller coaster existence, blessing, bummer, blessing, bummer. But there's a phrase in the Bible that shows up 
over and over again when um, telling the story of Joseph. And this is it. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Let's look at this scripture. Um, This is in Genesis chapter 39, verse um, 2. The Lord was with Joseph. Wait a minute, I'm reading um, something that's not on. We're going to do this. We're going to go to a blank screen. I was told there were some blank screens here. There we go. I've been told. Uh, says, the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. 39.3 says, now his master saw, Potiphar saw, that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. If you drop down in 39 to verse 21, it says, but the Lord was with Joseph, and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. So this is after uh, Joseph had been unjustly put into prison. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Even in prison, Joseph, was found fav- Joseph found favor and was given a place of leadership. He was given blessing over and over and over again. Remember when the cupbearer and the baker show up and they have dreams and Joseph is able to um, interpret their dreams and he says, hey, when, I, when you get out of here, do me a favor and tell somebody in charge that I'm in here and I don't deserve to be in here. Did they remember him? Not at first. Did the interpretation of their dreams come true? Yeah. But it wasn't until much later that he was remembered. How many of you like to wait? I say again. No, we don't like to wait, man. We want it now. This waiting thing, what is up with that? What time am I supposed to be finished, speaking of waiting? 10.45, or 11.45. Okay. He spends, most, he spends more time in prison, but here's the cool thing. Somehow, and for some reason, probably because the Lord was with him, he keeps his chin up. He keeps doing his whatever with his whole heart, and God keeps raising him up to use his leadership skills. And as you know, because you're familiar with the story, eventually the Pharaoh, the king of the whole world, has a dream. Joseph gets, remember, he gets this text message that the main head dude wants to to meet with him, and Joseph becomes eventually the second most powerful person in the world at that time. Now, most of us have never been thrown into a pit by our brothers. Most of us haven't even been threatened with death. We haven't been sold into slavery, but we've all had crummy days, and we've all had the opportunity to make a choice as to how we're going to respond to life's circumstances. And we can be like Alexander and say, what a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad, rotten, lousy, yucky, why are you doing this, God? Or we can be like Aunt Nancy and say, what a blessing. 
I trust you, Lord. I know that you are sovereign God, that you sit enthroned above the circle of the earth and that the people are like grasshoppers. I know that you have a plan for me because your scripture says that you do, and I am choosing to trust you in this. We get to decide how to respond. We can chin up and have a good attitude. By an act of our will, we can make the choice to be positive rather than negative. We can count our blessings and see the good instead of the bad. I just quoted a piece of the scripture that everybody's familiar with, Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Let's go there. We write this in the, on, the, on a uh, graduation card, right? We put this on things we want to encourage. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And it's a really great scripture. But do you know what it's pulled out of? Yeah, it's pulled out of a letter where God wrote to his people, guess what? You're going to be stuck in exile for 70 years. Because I sent you there. I put you in exile. Because you're being disciplined. How many of you like discipline? I mean, I told y'all that I touched the thing when it says do not touch. I know a thing or two about discipline. My mama said when I was little and they would say, hurry up, I would stop. And they would say, Jeannie, I said hurry up, I would walk backwards. I know a thing or two about discipline. I've had a spanking or two in my life. Discipline is no fun, but the Lord uses it to train us. And to draw us to himself, really, y'all. He uses it to draw, draw us to himself. And so there was a season of time, there was a period of history in uh, the Old Testament when God used exile to draw his people to himself. And it was, this was a letter that God sent to uh, his people. And, and he said, guess what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you guys, you're, you're going to be in exile. And uh, here's the thing. While you're there, I want you to build a house and plant a garden. Well, somebody else needs to be in. That was it. Did, I, did, I find, did you find build a house and plant a garden? Okay, there we go. All right, good. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. If you're in a season that feels to you like, I don't really like this very much, God. I don't, I don't really know what's going on. Let me tell you something. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your heart. God knows what he's doing. There's a purpose in it. Chin up. Build a house. Plant a garden. It's going to be okay because there's a season and God knows the plans that he has for you. And they're for good and not evil. And it's not forever because we win, we win, hallelujah, we win. I read the back of the book and we win. So Jeremiah 29 is a letter from the prophet Jeremiah to those who had been sent into exile. Scripture says, by God. This Babylonian empire and their king Nebuchadnezzar had sent armies to come and kidnap the people of Israel. They attacked the Israelites, forced them out of their homes, and 
relocated them into the foreign culture of Babylon. There were some pretty crummy circumstances, some hard events. Not talking about a broken chair or dropping your sweater in the sink while the water is running. Really, really hard stuff that these people were living in the middle of. And Jeremiah says, build a house, plant a garden. Marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Seek the prosperity and peace of the city which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. What? You want me to seek the prosperity of this wicked city? Are you crazy, God? But God says, chin up. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your heart. Use the gifting that I've given you and bless other people. Quit your crying and get the victory. And it's after that instruction that the promise of 29.11 comes, the verse that we all like to quote, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. He wants you to pray for the prosperity of the place where you are right now. God wants you to use this time in your life to grow you and bless you. I've got two points for you. Point number one, God is with us. Even as the Lord was with Joseph, God is with us. We know um, all kinds of characters in the Old Testament. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God was with them right in the middle of the fiery furnace. Um, in the... In the New Testament, we know that Jesus came as Emmanuel and that that means God with us. We are New Testament believers. We came after that first Christmas. And we came uh, knowing, I mean, we know that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. We also have the honor of being born on this side of the cross of Calvary. And so we have access to the very presence of God. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later in the week, that we can go right into the Holy of Holies. And we also have been born on this side of Pentecost. We are post-Pentecost people, so we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, walking alongside us, like Susie said the other day. He is our comforter. He is our counselor. He is the spirit of truth. And we have access to his presence all the time. So point number one, God is with us. Point number two, hard times are not bad times. Hard times are not bad times, they're just hard. So I had this, I used to be the principal of a school, and I had this season in my life where, wow, things just got really, really, really hard. And they decided to clip they, whoever they were, they were somebody that wasn't me, and they decided to close the school down. They didn't talk to me about it. And so I was losing my job, my teachers were losing their jobs, and my students were losing their school. We were coming up on, I was already planning the 25th year anniversary of this school, Christian school. And so um, it was a hard, it was just, whew, man, what a season. And I hadn't talked to my brother about it, I talked to my sisters about it, but I, I was on the phone on my way to school one day, and I was talking to my brother about it, trying to fill him in on everything that had happened, and all the stuff that was going on, and I 
finished telling the story and I said, man, it's just a bad time. This is just a bad time. And my brother, he's a Baptist preacher, he's a pretty wise old guy, and he said, Jeannie, this is not a bad time, this is a hard time. And hard times are not bad times. Hard times are not bad times, they're just hard. And I can look at you guys and I can see that you have lived through some hard times and you know that. Because you know why? Because your roots go down deep into an eternal God. And you know that he has not forgotten you when times are hard. Hard times are not bad times. They're just hard. We can do this. We can do this. Because our roots go down deep into an eternal God. Remember that the scripture in Jeremiah tells us it was God himself who sent his people into exile. He did it on purpose. It was not a mistake. It was not a surprise to him. There are no surprises with God. He knows exactly where you are. And he loves you right where you are. And he is here with you. It may seem like a hard time to you. I want to read a story to you by a guy named Philip Gully. He's a great storyteller. He's a Quaker. Had an old neighbor when I was growing up named Dr. Gibbs. He didn't look like any doctor I'd ever known. Every time I saw him, he was wearing denim overalls and a straw hat, the front brim of which was green sunglass plastic. He smiled a lot, a smile that matched his hat, old and crinkly and well-worn. He never yelled at us for playing in his yard. I remember him as someone who was a lot nicer than circumstances warranted. When Dr. Gibbs wasn't saving lives, he was planting trees. His house sat on 10 acres and his life goal was to make it a forest. The good doctor had some interesting theories concerning plant husbandry. He came from the no pain, no gain school of horticulture. He never watered his new trees, which flew in the face of conventional wisdom. Once I asked why, he said that watering plants spoiled them and that if you water them, each successive tree generation will grow weaker and weaker. So you have to make things rough for them and weed out the weenie trees early on. He talked about how watering trees made for shallow roots and how trees that weren't watered had to grow deep roots in search of moisture. I took him to mean that deep roots were to be treasured. So he never watered his trees. He'd plant an oak and instead of watering every morning, He'd beat it with the rolled up newspaper. Smack, slap, pow. I asked him why he did that and he said it was to get the tree's attention. They're granite strong now, big and robust. Dr. Gibbs went to glory a couple of years after I left home. Every now and again I walk by his house and look at the trees that I'd watched him plant some 25 years ago. Those trees wake up in the morning and beat their chests and drink their coffee black. <laughs> I planted a couple of trees a few years back, carried water to them for a solid summer, sprayed them, prayed over them, the whole nine yards. Yards. Two years of coddling has resulted in trees that expect to be waited on hand and foot. Whenever a cold wind blows in, they tremble and chatter their branches. Sissy trees. <laughs> Funny thing about those trees of Dr. Gibbs, Adversity and deprivation seem to benefit them in ways comfort and ease never could. 
Every night before I go to bed, I go check on my two sons. I stand over them and watch their little bodies, the rising and falling of life within. I often pray for them. Mostly I pray that their lives will be easy. Lord, spare them from hardship. But lately I've been thinking that it's time to change my prayer. It has to do with the inevitability of cold winds that hit us at the core. I know my children are going to encounter hardship, and my praying that they won't is naive. There's always a cold wind blowing somewhere. So I'm changing my eventide prayer because life is tough, whether we want it to be or not. Instead, I'm going to pray that my son's roots grow deep so they can draw strength from the hidden sources of the eternal God. Too many times we pray for ease, but that's a prayer seldom met. What we need to do is pray for roots that reach deep into the eternal. So when the rains fall and the winds blow, we won't be swept asunder. Here's the deal. There's always a cold wind blowing somewhere. There will always be terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. Old man trouble inevitably will show up at your door. Hard times happen. But they can be just that, hard times, not bad times. Because our roots can go down deep and draw strength from the sources of the eternal God who says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. We sang the song, Blessed Be Your Name, when the sun's shining down on me. And blessed be your name when the road's marked with suffering. If we can have that kind of an attitude about things that seem hard and difficult, if we can say, Blessed be your name, even when it doesn't feel like the sun is shining down on us. When it feels more like cold, hard winds blowing on us. If we can choose the attitude of blessed be your name, that's going to change everything. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we can't do this without the help and the power of the Holy Spirit because we are flesh. We thank you. Emmanuel, that you are with us. Thank you, Father God, that you want a relationship with us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for empowering us to have um, a positive and good and strong attitude that whatever our hand finds to do, we're going to choose to do it with all of our might. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, y'all. God bless your day.